Hello and welcome to Story Talk. My name is Laura Randall. I will be your host. This is episode number seven and today we are talking about Toy Story 4 by Pixar Animation Studios. This has been a really challenging movie to talk about for me because we have a lot of friends who have worked on this movie and we love Toy Story and we love Pixar and so leading up to this movie we spent several weeks watching the other movies and gearing up you know we have our costumes for our kids and the the action figures and the toys and we were so ready to fall in love with this movie and yet when we got to the theater we found that there were some pretty gaping holes in the story some pretty big uh, disappointments in the overall story and even though we were really impressed with a lot of the writing of uh, individual sequences. For example, the sequence where Woody and Forky are getting used to each other in the in the first bit of the movie, or the growing up sequence between Woody and Andy. There's a lot of great writing on the micro level. And of course, the animation, the textures, the lighting, everything visually about this movie has leveled up. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. And so we we struggled with talking about this movie and, and struggled with talking about it with our kids because even though we could tell that they were bothered by some of the things that had happened in the movie and they needed emotional processing, it took us several days of just mourning the expectations that we had had for Toy Story 4 after we watched it. And this is, I realize, a, an unusual reaction to the movie. I've read a lot of great reviews uh, on IMDb from our friends. We've heard lots of good things about it. And certainly there were many good things about Toy Story 4. But there were some pretty big story problems. And in this episode, I hope to point out the interesting contrast between the micro writing and the macro writing of the story. The macro writing is things that include the plot, the major story beats, the uh, essential actions that move the story forward, the essential decisions that the characters make, in contrast with the micro writing, which is all about the dialogue, the moment-to-moment -moment interactions, the development of even whole sequences, such as, as I already mentioned, like the Andy and Woody growing up. That's a whole sequence that is really well written. So there's a lot of great writing on this micro level, but in the macro level, there are still these big problems. And I think that's a this movie is a really interesting way to look at those problems because there's a classic debate that happens between writers about whether a plot makes the story happen or whether the characters make the story happen. And really what that debate is, is a debate between macro story writing and micro story writing. And Toy Story 4 just happens to give us a really great example of the difference between micro writing and the macro writing, between writing the plot of the story and writing the characters of the story. So without further ado, let's jump in to Toy Story 4 by Pixar Animation Studios, released in June of 2019. 
And the first thing that we'll do, we always do this, and if you're new to the podcast, you should know that there are lots and lots of spoilers, so if you don't want any of the surprises ruined, then stop this episode right now and go watch the movie. But if you are ready to talk about the movie, whether you've seen it or not, then stick with us. We're going to talk about the summary first, and the summary is a look at the macro elements of the story writing, the plot of the story. And in Toy Story 4, we begin with the toys and Andy, as uh, pretty much all of the movies have begun with the toys and Andy. Andy is bringing them in from the rain, if I remember correctly. And he deposits them on the bed, and Woody and, and Buzz jump off the bed as soon as Andy has left the room, and they run over to the window, and they are initiating an, a, a rescue operation for R.C., the car who's gotten stuck in the gutter and they're using Slinky and they meet up with Bo Peep who is now in Molly's room and they are all working together to get RC out of the gutter because he's about to be washed away by the rain and Bo Peep is crucial in in helping them with this rescue but they're all interrupted even once they get RC out of the gutter they're interrupted by someone coming into the room, closing the window, and then taking Bo Peep away. And we realize that we're seeing the moment that Bo Peep leaves the the Andy's Toys uh, community. And apparently, Andy has given the Bo Peep lamp. She's a part of a lamp. She He's given this lamp to his sister, Molly. And Molly doesn't need her anymore. So her mom... Andy's and Molly's mom sells Bo Peep on something like Craigslist or a classifieds ad. And the the stranger person comes, they put Bo Peep in a box, and they take her away without much ceremony. Woody runs out to find Bo Peep because, of course, she is really special to him. And luckily, the, the stranger buyer has forgotten his keys in the house, so he runs back in, and that gives Woody a chance to open the box and talk to Bo Peep for one last time and he's saying get out of the box come on you've got to come back to Andy Andy needs you you're you're Andy's toy and Bo Peep says Woody I'm no longer Andy's toy and Molly doesn't need me anymore so she's ready to move on and she even suggests that maybe Woody should come with her maybe he should just pretend that Andy lost him or that he slipped into the box by accident somehow and maybe he should just end up with Bo Peep instead uh, and Woody seems to be about to accept this offer, or he's at least seriously considering it, when when Andy comes out of the house desperately searching for Woody, and Woody realizes that he is still crucial for Andy's life, and that he needs to be there while Andy grows up, and he lets Bo Peep go. It's a beautiful moment, and combined with the sequence that follows it, where we see Woody with Andy and then Andy with Buzz and then Jesse and Bullseye and we're seeing the whole team as they grow up with Andy as they're passed on to Bonnie as Bonnie begins to play with them it's a real tearjerker because if you like we have grown up with Toy Story you you remember when it came out in 1995 then this is going to be a really nostalgic uh, beginning to the movie because you're remembering all of the growing up that you have done with Woody, that we have done with Woody. And of course, this is going to be especially poignant for Pixar proper fans, for fans of Pixar the company. 
uh, because Woody was there from the very beginning. Like Woody basically began Pixar's career in 3D animation and largely rebooted animation for the rest of the world too by ushering in 3D computer graphics into animation. That is largely the way that everyone studies animation now. So Woody is this, this hugely important character, not just because it's a Toy Story movie, but also because of his huge history with the fans. And this beginning sequence taps really effectively into our history with Woody. And it's supposed to. It's supposed to create that nostalgic bond with Woody to remind us of why we love him. Because he is loyal to Andy. He's loyal to Andy. He's loyal to his friends. He looks out for them. He rescues them. He is there for them, just like he's been there for us. And in the upcoming sequences, we see that Woody has largely not changed, although his circumstances have changed drastically. Because we catch up with him and the other toys from Andy's room. In Bonnie's room now, apparently pretty early on in their stay there, because Dolly, one of Bonnie's toys, is having to explain to Andy's toys that when mom comes through and cleans up Bonnie's room, they all get shoved in the closet. Oh, she should have warned them that, that this was going to happen. Presumably, she wouldn't have to be explaining this to them if they had been there for a long time, unless Bonnie's mom just rarely or n almost never cleans Bonnie's room, which also seems relatively doubtful. But in any case, when Bonnie comes back to the room and she starts to get out the toys again, she takes all of the key character toys except for Woody. This is unusual because we've seen how much Bonnie loves and favors Woody in other shorts and in, in, in Toy Story 3 also but also because we're used to seeing Woody in a leadership role. He's always the one chosen. He's always the most important toy. He's always one of the leader toys for the whole group. And to see him not chosen, and then just to emphasize the point, Bonnie comes back to the closet and he takes, she takes off uh, Woody's badge and takes the badge back and puts it on Jesse. So, you know, she's really emphasizing the fact that she doesn't want to play with Woody. And that's really unusual for us and pretty disappointing. Now, one of the themes of this movie, one of the recurring things that we will notice is that there is a lot of tension between kids and toys in this movie. More than any other movie, there is a lot of tension between kids and owners and their toys. There is a lot of kids dropping toys, a lot of toys being disappointed at being rejected by owners. It, it comes up over and over again. We probably won't be able to touch on every single instance in the summary, but if you've seen the movie, you will recognize immediately what I'm talking about, that there is this deep angst uh, between the toys and their oblivious owners. And that is a marked departure from the other Toy Story movies. In the other Toy Story movies, the kids love their toys, and they they sometimes make mistakes or the toys get lost or there's some kind of miscommunication or misunderstanding or like age mismatch between the kid and the toys but the to the toys are never intentionally rejected like the toys are in this movie 
But to get back to Bonnie, we are in Bonnie's room and Bonnie is rejecting Woody and she's playing with all the other toys and Woody is feeling really insecure about his position as Bonnie's toy. To remedy this, when he sees the opportunity to sneak into Bonnie's backpack when she's going to kindergarten, he takes it. He, he gets into her backpack and he watches her as she goes to this kindergarten orientation. And he can tell the whole time that she is so uncomfortable. She feels really out of place. She doesn't understand the other kids, doesn't seem to have any friends, doesn't know what to do or, or say in order to feel accepted and welcomed in the space. So Woody, being the good, loyal toy that he is, jumps out of the backpack and finds her some, some art supplies that were dumped in the trash, and he grabs a whole artful of them, and he takes them back to Bonnie, and he puts them on the table so that she'll have something to do. She'll have some way to feel okay about this kindergarten thing. And uh, it works. Bonnie starts to make a toy for herself, and she calls the toy Forky. It's actually a spork with googly eyes and some improvised feet out of uh, tongue depressors and she writes her name on the bottom of this toy she calls him Forky she puts him in her backpack and she's going to take him home Forky has become this comfort device for Bonnie and on the way home Woody is patting himself on the back because he is the one who uh, brought Forky about who made it possible for Bonnie to find this comfort and security in her new surroundings and he is congratulating himself on the way home when all of a sudden Forky wakes up and apparently he has become a real toy now because Bonnie has loved him or Bonnie has written her name on him. It's not exactly clear what triggers Forky coming to life, but he does come to life. He freaks Woody out. And then we have a, a really funny and engaging scene, especially if you're a parent, which I am. So I thought it was really engaging. This very parental sequence of Woody trying to convince Forky to become Bonnie's toy. He's trying to assuage Forky's desires towards self-destruction, his desires to go and jump in the trash over and over again. And so he's constantly on guard, night and day, always looking out for Forky, catching him before he goes into the garbage, uh, throwing him back onto the bed or into the playroom or wherever so that he is there for Bonnie when Bonnie needs him. Forky, however, is very determined. And uh, in, a, in a scene that most of us knew was coming because of the trailer, uh, there is a road trip in which Forky slips away from Bonnie and jumps out the window. He's determined to be trash. And so he jumps out of the window so that he can be trash and stop being a toy. And Woody, knowing how important Forky is to Bonnie's well-being and, and Bonnie's comfort, he decides to jump out of the window after Forky to go and get him and bring him back. He looks at the parents' GPS and he says, oh, it's only five miles until the next rest stop and I can make that so I'll just jump out of this window and find Forky. It doesn't really explain how toys have any concept of direction or miles or any of that because I think as a kid I definitely would not have had any conception of that but anyway Woody seems to know about these things so he jumps out of the window he finds Forky drags him out of the ditch and they're walking back together having this really deep heart to heart and Woody is telling him all about how 
he matured as a toy, how he grew up with Andy, and how he and Buzz learned to be friends, and and how he convinced Buzz to accept his role as Andy's toy also. And by the end of this heart-to-heart, Forky is convinced. He, he wants to be Bonnie's toy. And the main thrust of, of Woody's argument that really convinces Forky is that uh, Bonnie needs him, needs Forky, just like Forky needs the trash, that he is a comforting presence to Bonnie, just like the trash is a comforting presence to him. And the most noble thing he can do is to be that for her. And Forky, once he wants to go back to Bonnie, he never wavers from that. He becomes basically a prop for the rest of the movie because he doesn't have any big decision moments. This is this is his moment. But now that Woody has convinced Forky, he gets distracted. They are walking back to the RV park and they pass an antique shop. And in the antique shop window, Woody sees Bo's lamp. And it is unoccupied either by Bo or her sheep. And he thinks, well, maybe Bo is inside this store somewhere, inside this antique store. So he convinces Forky to take a detour with him through this antique store to try and find Bo. Unfortunately, they run into a very, very creepy group of dolls, whom from now on I will call Gabby and the Creepers, because that's how I have come to think about them. And they run into these creepy dolls whom it is apparent pretty quickly are not going to lead them to Bo, but instead are trying to cannibalize Woody's voice box. Once they realize this, they try to escape, and there is a horrifying chase scene with these dolls shoving themselves into these small spaces, trying to chase Woody and Forky, and uh, Woody gets rescued by a passing kid, but Forky is held hostage by these dolls, so Woody knows that he's going to have to go back and get Forky. On his way back to try and get Forky out of the clutches of these dolls, Woody does find Bo and her sheep and her new friends outside of the antique shop. He also realizes there's this carnival going on right outside of the antique store. And Buzz uh, ends up leaving the RV. And he joins the rescue party for Forky as well, along with uh, the Key and Peel characters, whose uh, names in the movie are Ducky and Bunny. So they all join forces uh, to try and rescue Forky, but in a very clumsy and uh, poorly executed attempt, which is mostly messed up by Woody being impatient, the rescue attempt fails. They almost all get captured. Bo Peep's sheep get chipped when they fall off of a surface, and everyone is, is almost taken down, and they barely make it out without being captured. And when they have to face up to the fact that they failed, then their next question is, well, is this worth it? Does she really need Forky? Does Forky even need to be rescued? I mean, they seem to be treating him just fine. They're using him as bait to lure the rest of the toys back in. And they are a lot stronger and more 
powerful than the team that we have to rescue Forky. And so they are wondering whether it's even worth it. And most of the team decides that no, it's not, that they should go back. They should go their separate ways. Woody, however, is loyal to his core. And so he goes back to rescue Forky. And when he gets back into the antique store, he is immediately cornered by Gabby and the Creepers. And she basically blackmails Woody into giving her his voice box in exchange for Forky's freedom. Woody, without any other choice, uh, feebly requires that Forky go free and she agrees again. And so he, he lets her take his voice box without trying to get away. And once she has his voice box, uh, she positions herself in a spot where this child who is constantly coming into the antique store, her name is Harmony, and Gabby really wants Harmony to make a connection with her and to play with her and to be Harmony's toy. So Gabby positions herself after she has obtained Woody's voice box in a place that Harmony will see her, and in a, a critical moment, Harmony is approaching Gabby at the same time that Forky and Woody need to be getting in Bonnie's forgotten backpack so that they can get back to Bonnie. And instead of getting in the backpack, Woody chooses to stay and watch as Harmony rejects Gabby and then chooses to go and rescue Gabby from feeling abandoned by this child that she has placed so much hope in. As they leave the antique store, Bo comes back to rescue Woody and Forky relays a message that that Woody wants the rest of the toys to meet him in the center of the carnival at the merry-go-round. So the other toys are hijacking an RV to get to the center of the carnival. Meanwhile, Woody and Bo and Gabby are leaving the antique shop and running across the carnival and trying to get to Bonnie. Woody uh, is assuming that Bonnie will accept Gabby and play with her like uh, any of her other toys. But on the way to the center of the carnival, they pass another child who's obviously lost in the carnival. And Gabby turns and decides to go with this lost child rather than try to make it back to Bonnie. She decides that this is the child that needs her, not Bonnie. So they help her again. They help her get in the position. They coach her on what to do so that she looks appealing to this child and then the child picks her up and uh, makes a real connection with Gabby the doll and uh, eventually finds her parents and uh, it's happy ever after for that kid. But Woody and Bo just barely make it to the RV in time and Buzz comes out to meet them and Woody in coming back to the RV and coming back to Bonnie realizes that he's about to leave Bo again. And it's this hard decision all over again. And he and at the critical moment, Buzz offers the encouragement that Woody needs and says that Bonnie's going to be fine without you, Woody, that she'll get over it. She'll be fine. And he's encouraging Woody to go back and stay with Bo. And Woody takes the encouragement. And as the RV begins to pull out, he jumps back onto the merry-go-round ride and watches his friends and Bonnie and Forky all drive away in the RV while he stays with Bo and they decide to travel the world in the, with the carnival. Uh, it shows us in a little epilogue scene for the movie that Woody and Bo 
have decided to free carnival animals wherever they go in order to let them have kids as owners in order to let them have time to be played with. Okay, so that's the summary of Toy Story 4 and now we will get into some of the bigger problems with the story. The first and most apparent problem is that there are just so many tensions happening in this movie. And we al already mentioned the human to toy tensions that are going on. There's the tension between Woody and Bonnie. There's the tension between Harmony and Gabby. There's the tension between this uh, very small side character called Duke Kaboom and isn't really in this story at all except for in Duke's memory and his name is Rijan, so we have this other human toy tension. Then there are Bonnie's parents with the other toys. For uh, the last third or so of the movie, the toys from Bonnie's room are actively advocating like a hostile takeover of Bonnie's parents. The, the unicorn toy wants to get uh, Bonnie's dad sent to jail. Uh, not really seriously, but he, there's this tension that is revealed through him consistently saying, Let, let's get her dad sent to jail. Let's get her dad sent to jail. And then when the other toys decide to hijack the RV, they are pressing the gas pedal. Trixie is pretending to be the voice of the GPS. Like they're breaking all of these rules that have been established from the other Toy Story movies about the interactions or the mode of interacting with humans. All of a sudden, the tensions between the toys and the humans escalate. The most aggressive toys against humans are actually supposed to be the most funny. They're the Key and Peele characters of Ducky and Buddy, and they are constantly fantasizing about destroying or terrorizing humans. And not even just any humans, but hapless, unsuspecting, old lady humans, like single carnival ride operators, uh, humans who have not done anything aggressive or cruel to the toys, but are suddenly being targeted in these fantasies as victims for the ducky bunny destroyer giants of their imagination. Then there are also tensions between toys and other toys. We have the romantic tension between Woody and Bo Peep. We have Buzz and the other toys and uh, their tension with Woody. They don't quite understand what's going on with Woody. They don't know how he is changing, how he's maturing. He seems to be talking about things that don't sound normal anymore. Uh, then there is the tension between Gabby and Woody and the tension between Forky and Woody. The tension between Forky and Woody ends pretty early on, so that's not as much of a problem, because once Forky wants to get back to Bonnie, then he's not a problem source for Woody anymore, except for in the fact that he's being held hostage. But he is on the same page with Woody. Their goals are the same. And so there isn't a tension between Woody and Forky anymore. But for all of these other tensions, they're still floating around. and. One of the big problems that 
uh, Toy Story 4 faces is that they introduce all of these different tensions and then they aren't really braided together well enough that they can all climax at the same time. They all have to get to their own resolution points. And so we have, you know, probably half a dozen or more resolution points as each of these characters tries to resolve their individual tension line that they have been following through the movie. And it makes the ultimate uh, climax scene seem kind of rambling, kind of disorganized, kind of uh, slapped together, like uh, everything is, is just pieced together as it's happening. Compared with the beginning of the movie, which is so concise and so emotionally on point, it's a very confusing climax. And that feeling of confusion is only amplified by the ultimate climax slash resolution, which happens between Woody and Bo and Woody and the other toys and Woody and Bonnie. All of those are kind of combined in that same decision that Woody is making to stay with Bo instead of going with the other toys. And this decision point for Woody is super, super problematic because every other Toy Story movie, Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3, everyone, the entire plot, the entire has been driven by the motivation to get back to their owner. It was Andy all the way up until the end of Toy Story 3, but that commitment to the owner, to the kid, has never wavered for Woody. The owner is always paramount. Andy was always the most important. And he was the one who convinced the other toys to reprioritize Andy, to reprioritize their owner, to reprioritize their kid, even in face of the many known obstacles or difficulties that lay in their way. Even if they weren't going to be played with, Woody was going to be there for them. Even if they were going into storage, he wanted to be loyal to Andy. And the only time Woody is anything but loyal to Andy is arguably when he puts himself into the box that he addresses to Bonnie. But he's not contramanding Andy. He's not abandoning Andy. It's more like he's suggesting to Andy that the toys be given to this new owner. And he puts himself in the box too, even though Andy has repeatedly put him in the college box. Uh, so that goes against what Andy was wanting, but he doesn't try to trick Andy. He doesn't wake up and say, no, Andy, you've got to leave me with Bonnie. He doesn't force Andy to do anything. It's more like a suggestion to Andy where he is participating in the maturation process for Andy and telling him that he knows it's time for Andy to move on. It's a, it's a really beautiful moment in Toy Story 3, but that is not what is happening here with Bonnie. Here, all of a sudden, in Toy Story 4, we have Woody trampling on his own two fundamental values, his loyalty to his owner and his loyalty to Buzz and the other toys. Those are the two driving forces that have guided Woody through every other movie. He has always been loyal to his owner. He's always been loyal to his friends. And the only time that he will leave his owner is when he is trying to rescue one of his friends and bring that friend or friends back to the owner. So to have the entire movie building up, and not just the movie, but like the entire 
quadrilogy moving up towards this moment of decision with Woody where all of a sudden he breaks the two ethical codes for the toys or at least Woody's two ethical codes which are to be loyal to the owner and loyal to his friends is really disappointing the epilogue scene seems to try and mitigate this by showing that Woody and Bo are now helping other toys go to owners but even that is a little bit hollow because we have just seen Woody walk away from his owner he had an owner and he left her. He abandoned her. And whether or not she will get over the loss of a toy or whether or not she will even notice is not the primary point. The point is that up until this point in the Toy Story movies, the kid has always been the most important. And that is a really important theme for kids to be getting from their movies, that they are important and that their toys are going to prioritize them and protect them and be there when they're needed, even if they're not played with all the time. That's an incredibly comforting thing, especially for child audiences to hear from these movies about toys of kids. Uh, but in this climax, uh, Woody denies that essential essential core ethic, and it, it was pretty it was pretty heartbreaking to watch that. We walked out of the movie, and within uh, a few days of watching the movie, we were all kind of processing at the same time, and my oldest, who is five, came up to me and said, I just miss Woody. And I realized she was spot on, that that's what we were all going through. We were going through this kind of mourning over, over Woody because he had used this final decision to betray the character that he had been building up for all of these other movies. This is the Woody that Bo Peep came to love. This is the Woody that Buzz came to trust. This is the Woody that Jesse and Bullseye trusted enough to go home with to an unknown owner named Andy. All of these key points in the history of Toy Story hinged on Woody's loyalty to his owner and Woody's uh, developed loyalty to his friends. His, his loyalty to his friends was something he's been learning since the first Toy Story, but his loyalty to his owner has always been there. And to have him go back on both of those loyalties at the crux of this movie is a, is a downer. We'll talk in a little bit about how we could have achieved the same type of ending where Woody stays with Bo without having him discard his two core principles, his two core loyalties. But we'll come back to that in a little bit. Before we get to that, we'll talk about the third big problem with this movie, which was Gabby. Gabby, I think, should have been completely cut. She adds an unnecessary additional tension. There are so many tensions going on in this movie. We didn't really need this pseudo-melodrama between her and Woody. And she also presents a lot of ethical problems with the story because by the end of Toy Story 4, the only clear winner is Gabby. 
She got the voice box that she wanted. She got out of the antique shop like she wanted. She got a new owner just like she wanted. She gets everything she wants. And that is a problem because she is the least ethical character in the whole movie. She lies. She blackmails. She holds Forky hostage. She chases and attempts to coerce by force multiple times. She uh, tries to cannibalize Woody's voice box by hacking into his back. I mean, she is a horrible, horrible character. And this is a, a problem I've noticed in some other movies, too. And the problem is the misunderstanding between pitifulness and justice. In Toy Story 4, it plays out like this. Woody, when he is coming back from the failed rescue attempt, he's coming back, he faces down Gabby and the Creepers. She has him cornered in this dark alley, so to speak, of the antique store. And she has these four big, strong Creeper dolls closing in on Woody, who can just take him by force, and Woody is backing away. He's trying to find a, a way to escape or a way to fight them off or something. He's obviously on the defensive, and Gabby steps forward and motions to her creepers that she's going to take care of this, that they should stand down for a moment. And then she goes and she gives Woody this sob story about how she's just never had a kid to play with her. And she just wants a kid to play with her like Andy or Bonnie have played with him. This story makes her pitiable. It, it might even make Woody empathize with her. But it does not justify all of the dishonesty that she has been committing throughout the movie up until this point. Woody agrees to her terms. He agrees to give her his voice box in exchange for Forky's freedom. But he does not do so because he wants her to be happy or because he sees that she's in need and decides to donate his voice box. He is being forced, he's being blackmailed to give her his voice box. And that is not a feel-good transaction. When they do sew him up and he's apparently okay and Gabby has her voice box, that tempers it a little, a very little bit that apparently Woody wasn't hurt. But he uh, gets Forky, and then when they watch Gabby get rejected, it just seems completely unreasonable that Woody would go back and help this tyrant who has been cannibalizing his innards for personal gain. But he goes back, and, and then he's helping her get this kid. And so over and over again, Gabby just keeps getting what she wants. And she really only cooperates with them as long as she's getting what she wants. She's not a good guy. And there seems to be this expectation from the writers that we take Gabby, that we accept Gabby as a, as a good character after she presents this story about just wanting to be like Woody or the other toys. And certainly that does make her pitiable. Pity is a real factor in a character, but that doesn't justify her unethical actions and it also doesn't balance the scales of justice and since this is a kids movie the scales of justice need to be balanced at the end of the movie in adult movies you can have unbalanced scales of justice because it provokes 
the adult audience to think more about what just happened or to analyze exactly what makes them think that something should have been done differently. But for a kid's movie, the scales need to be balanced. The characters who are doing bad things need to have bad consequences. They need to have real consequences for bad actions. And we don't get that with Gabby. And on top of all of those problems that Gabby brings to the movie, she also brings these super creepy dolls. And they are much, much scarier than any other character that's been presented in the Toy Story movies. When we were in theaters watching, we uh, rather quickly had to scramble and cover our young children's eyes because we knew that these characters were going to be too scary for them right before bedtime. I think probably for, for kids six to eight and up, it would have been okay. They would have been able to process it. But for very young children, these are really scary looking dolls. They're bigger than Woody. They're stronger than Woody. They're, they're really fast. They're shoving themselves into these small spaces as they're chasing Woody and Forky, especially at the beginning. Um, but in the rescue attempt too, they're, they're also trying to attack them. And then they're, they run around like zombies. They've got these slack jaws and their limbs are all hanging around and they kind of run really floppily. They're very, very creepy. And characters or even animation that induces fear for fear's sake, not a fear of something that's difficult or something that's hard or a big uh, villain or something. That's a different kind of fear. But these dolls introduce a horror aspect of fear which I believe is completely inappropriate for a children's movie and especially a children's movie with the kind of legacy that Toy Story has. Meaning a history of movies that are very accessible and very safe for young children to watch and feel good about. So those are the three big problems. There's the too many tensions, the problem with the climax and violating the core principles that have been established in the other three Toy Story movies. And then Gabby and the Creepers and the inappropriate levels of fear, the imbalanced scales of justice for Gabby at the end too. So after we've watched a movie like this and after we've identified some of the key problems in a movie, what do we do then? This brings us to a, a really important part of story analysis, and that is the emotional processing of the movie. There are many things involved with emotional processing, but in terms of movie watching and story analysis, what I'm talking about with emotional processing is the practice of owning the story in a way that allows you to harvest the good things that came from the story and let go of the bad to release any of the negative things that happened to you emotionally or mentally uh, while watching or reading the story. To own a story like this, what you mostly need to do is to retell it. The basic level of emotional processing just involves retelling the story that you read or that you watched. And that means going through it in whatever level of detail you need to do in order to explore all of the different emotions, good or bad, 
that came up during that movie. The next level of emotional processing, and the one that I'll focus on with you, is, is a kind of fan fiction for the movie, where you take what you saw and start to break it down, and when you find pieces that you think could have been better, start to mentally change it and think, well, what if they had done some of this differently? What if they had changed just this part? And you start to fiddle with it, almost like a mechanic in the trunk of a car, and you start to replace parts of the engine and see if it would drive better with uh, this character doing this, or if you took out this character completely, etc. So I would like to give you a, an example of three different ways you might emotionally process Toy Story by adding in a kind of fan fiction for how it might have been, how it might have gone. If you were one of the people who was completely satisfied with the movie as is, then this probably won't be necessary for you. But if you were like us and you ended the movie feeling kind of down, feeling like you didn't quite understand the ending or like you missed Woody or like the the creepers freaked you out or something else, then I hope that this will help to illustrate how you might start to emotionally process the movie on your own too. And maybe practice uh, alone with a spouse, with your kids, with someone else. Um, practice emotionally processing the movie by just telling the story over again. Uh, whether it has fan fiction type elements or not. So, here we go. This is, this is the most simple edit uh, that could have been done on the movie to make it very similar to what was already there, but still fix some of these core problems. Uh, the first thing that I would have done would be to cut out Gabby and the Creepers completely. They were unnecessary, there were plenty of tensions to play with, and they, they were just distracting to the main, um, the main questions of the movie, which were mostly posed by Bo Peep in the relationship between Bo and Woody, and with Forky and Woody. In this fan fiction, Imagine that in the end, Woody succeeds in getting Woody back to Bonnie, but then gets left behind himself somehow. There are a couple of ways that this could have happened. Maybe Bonnie trades Woody for a carnival animal. Maybe the antique store buys Woody, since we know that Woody is this really valuable doll from the 50s. Or maybe he and Bo leave uh, from the antique store. Maybe he gets lost or left behind by accident and in the carnival and he finds his way to the antique store after that or has no way back. Just the, the important point would be that he helps Forky get back but isn't able to return to Bonnie himself. And that eliminates the need for Woody to decide between Bo and Bonnie and just lets him move on from the relationship with Bonnie and go to explore with Bo without having to violate that core principle of loyalty to his owner. Another fun thing that you could do in this, in this version, in this fan fiction, would be to develop the trash theme versus the toy theme as presented by Forky. Because without Gabby and the Creepers uh, adding that additional layer of tension, there would have been more time to develop this really interesting theme that they have going on of what it means to be trash versus what it means to be a toy. 
that's something that's been started from Toy Story 3 even when Lotso was really upset about being cast off by his owner and then throwing toys away in the dumpster and then of course they have the main climax scene going into the incinerator so there's already some groundwork laid for exploring the theme of what it means to be trash what it means to be a toy and if they had had more room in the story had had fewer characters fewer tensions and a little more time to develop it i think they could have done some really cool things with the trash versus toy stuff with with forky with bow with the other antiques in the in the shop in a second version of the fan fiction this would require a little bit more changing and it requires a little bit more work on our part imaginatively to see how it might have gone but there uh, seems to be a big question that the writers are interested in for this movie which is what is the purpose of life and they are exploring it in the context of what is the purpose of a toy's life this goes back to the trash theme again but what if the whole movie refocused to be about the essential joy of coming to life through the love of a child it's not quite clear what brings a toy to life because apparently they aren't alive from the moment they are created by a manufacturer we saw in the toy store that the toys that have been unopened are not awake yet so they they wake up sometime when they come out of the box but then there are counter examples like the prospector in toy story 2 who is awake even though he's supposedly not come out of the box. So maybe he was opened before. But anyway, you they could have thought of some backstory, some explanation for all of those. The point is that if the movie focused more on the way a toy comes to life, such as Forky, as Forky is coming to life with Bonnie, there could have been a lot of interesting questions uh, brought up in the story at that point. We might have explored the question, um, what if toys only came to life when a child writes his or her name on them? Or what if it's when it's a child taking them out of the box? What if a toy's life is connected to his or her's most recent owner? What if the antique shop is full of these toys with with no living owners or with dying owners or with owners with Alzheimer's or something? Um, anyway, owners whose names are passing on and thus these toys in the antique shop are losing their lives. They're dying. They're, they're losing their life because their owners are passing on. What if Woody then sacrificed his voice box for the Gabby doll because she was dead or dying? Um, because her, her owner was in a rest home or going to die soon that would have been so interesting and such an interesting theme to develop in the context of a maturing toy because woody has now been through two owners so he knows the reality of of moving on from one owner to the next and also the reality of being rejected or left behind as his owner grows up so he would have had a lot of empathy for these toys who might have been dying with their as the lives of their owners are ending too. In this context, the movie would have uh, 
emphasized a lot more maybe the quest to live life fully or to help their kids as much as possible or to give life to other toys as much as possible. There were a, there are a lot of different ways that this hypothetical story could go. But this in this case also, Woody would not have to break his commitment to those two core principles and it also wouldn't require a lot of the extra tension and imbalanced scales of justice that were presented by Gabby. In this third fan fiction, we'll go even more in depth than the second fan fiction, depart even more from the story that was presented in the actual movie. And let's explore if we were to just hollow out the whole movie but keep some of the essential environments. If we were to keep uh, the carnival and the RV and the antique shop, what could we do with those elements to create a version of Toy Story 4? And in brainstorming this, I was thinking a lot about Toy Stories 1, 2, and 3 because we had watched all of them leading up to seeing Toy Story 4. And in Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, they all explore a different aspect of being a toy. Toy Story 1 uh, looks at being owned by a good kid versus a bad kid. What does it mean when you move with your kid, etc.? In Toy Story 2, we look at what it means to be a uh, toy in storage or a famous toy or a collector's toy. What does it mean to be traveling? What does it mean to be sent to a museum? Uh, what does it mean to grow up and, and be left behind by your kid? Then in Toy Story 3, we look at what it means to be donated or what it means to be put in your kid's storage, not just put in storage by someone, but put in your kid's storage. What does it mean to be a hand-me-down toy? What does it mean to be thrown away? And if we were to pursue this with Toy Story 4, we would probably dig into the antique theme a lot more. And instead of having just a really old, creepy, sunny side version, what if we saw something really different from the antique toys? What if the antique toys were a lot wiser or a lot slower? What if they were a lot more measured? What if they uh, accepted different aspirations for ownership rather than just being played with by a kid? Maybe some of them hope to be bought by a collector. Maybe some of them are beanie babies who are mourning their lost spikes in value. Maybe some want to be bought by interior decorators or, or other types of people. This would present a lot of ready ways to draw contrasts between the young and impulsive carnival toys outside and the, the wizened, less flashy antique toys. Maybe Woody uh, joins up with the antique toys. Maybe Bonnie sells him to the antique store or maybe the antique store owner finds Woody when, when he's exploring the antique store and sets him up as a special display since we know that he's so valuable. Or uh, maybe he has to reevaluate his hopes and his goals and his determination to be owned and played with by a kid. Maybe meeting these antique toys challenges all of those things, and so he has to grow a little bit and, and expand his conception about what can make a toy happy by meeting these other toys. But here, too, we have a, a, lot of, a lot of opportunity and a lot of options. There are a lot of options for how we could have written a story 
that featured Woody moving on, even being left behind, being separated from his friends, being separated from Bonnie, rejoining Bo. All of those things could have been accomplished without him violating those core principles that we talked about earlier. And there were a lot of ways to make it a more satisfying story, especially for a children's audience, to make it a more satisfying, more affirming story for them as well. So in conclusion, Toy Story 4 was a really interesting mix of excellent micro writing, excellent movie making with really big macro problems, big plot problems, really big consistency problems with uh, the relationship between Toy Story 4 and the rest of the Toy Story movies. Hopefully, uh, our talking about emotional processing will help you to identify some of the ways that you can own this story or whatever story you are currently watching. It will help you to retell that story in your own words and if necessary to really take it to yourself and make it into the story that you wish it could have been. If you can't do that with the actual film, then at least you can do it in your mind and get many of the same benefits of having good stories to chew on and ponder. Lastly, if you are enjoying Story Talk, please subscribe to the podcast. We also have some new options for connecting on social media so that we can start to build more of a community aspect to the Story Talk, uh, meaning that we can provide more opportunities to talk about stories with each other and hone our abilities to analyze stories. We have a Facebook page now called at Story Talk Time. That's S-T-O-R-Y-T-A-L-K-T-I-M-E. And with the same handle, you can follow me on Instagram at Story Talk Time or on Twitter. And we are really interested in getting uh, quotes on stories, hearing your opinion on polls about stories or polls about aspects of story analysis. The, um, the goal here is to make story analysis really accessible, to help us all to process our media better, and to help stimulate maybe the creation of more of the media that we really love, the things that we would like to see more of in our world or in our lives. So again, that's at Story Talk Time on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Subscribe officially to the podcast if you haven't done that already, and we hope to see you next time. Happy Story Talks.